nobody hold us down on turntables and tea. I'm Charlie. And I'm Corey. And if you couldn't tell by the intro this week, we are discussing uh, the 1997 debut album from Puff Daddy, as he was then known. Uh, no Way Out. This was a really big album, and Puff Daddy's gone by several names since, including P. Diddy, Diddy, his birth name of Sean Combs is well-known too. So, man of many names, but this is where it all began for him as a rapper, at least. I'm glad you touched on that right away. A <laughs> rapper, a rapper. We have to say, quote-unquote, or I have to say, quote-unquote. We, we do. Um, just for me, I, you know, this one, me and Charlie were talking about it before we started, but this one, I remember where I was for this album. I remember who I was for when this album came out, and... Uh, Quote, unquote, rapper was something that was on the tip of our tongues. And I think many others, as far as Mr. Diddy was going down at that point. And, yeah. and we'll definitely talk about it. Talk about man of many names. I learned Buster Rhymes' real name for the first time ever in my whole life because I couldn't figure <laughs> out who Christopher Wallace was on the uh, on the writer's uh, notes. And I said, oh, wow, I never knew that. All Wait, no, Christopher Wallace is the notorious oh, B.I.G. I, I said Christopher Wallace. I'm sorry. I meant that Trevor George Smith. <laughs> Christopher okay. Wallace. But, I'm over here tripping already. <laughs> oh, man. But, yeah quote-unquote rapper is uh, he's not a rapper first I mean you can even tell it by just his output he hasn't put out much in a long time and not even that much to begin with in comparison to others and uh, he's a businessman and record executive before he is a rapper and even at this point in 97 I'll speak for me but I think for a large amount of the the populace he was the side guy he was in the same boat as Flavor Flav. He was the hype man. He was yeah. he was the public man. He was the guy that had the looks going on. He was exactly the yin to the yang, in my opinion, that uh, Biggie needed to reach. I'll even go as far as to say like the suburban white hip hop listener audience, you know, take that that edge off of Biggie. Um, and, and he did that well throughout his career up until this point. Yeah, including on this album, frankly. I think he did that well. I look back at it as I read, and, you know, I'm an older man now, looking back. I like to think that a lot of it was him being propelled and pushed forward, not only as a businessman, because he is a businessman and, and, and a great one at that, but just as a person slash artist um, and the death of a friend can can do that. So, you know, that catalyst going forward, I think, I like to think made him want to do this rather than back then. I used to th think that he was just jumping on what's hot. What's, you know, Hey, he's going to make this album. Of course he's going to make it for Biggie. And then definitely no one ever thought that it didn't mean anything to him, but it was like Puff Daddy's going to make a rap album, but it's Puff Daddy and the family. And we'll touch on that as we go through as well. Yeah. And uh, well, I think you're correct. A lot of people have a very cynical view of his, uh, rapping in the wake of the death of the notorious big there's a lot of uh, criticism surrounding that and uh, some have even gone so far as to try to put biggie's murder on puff daddy which uh, we don't have hard evidence to say that so i'm not going to make that claim and i'm not going to go down that rabbit hole either because we could be here for three hours yeah. that's a very interesting topic and something that if you like reading about things that that are unsolved or quote unquote unsolved that's a that's a 
there's a lot to look at in that. But yeah, I, yeah. I promised myself I'd stay out of that one. <laughs> I, I find it more confusing than anything else and don't even have a clear cut opinion on it like I do other music controversies. I just am baffled by all of it. It was it's a different it's so scene. intertwined. It is. There's a lot of players and it's a different scene. It's it's a wild one, a wild one to say the least. Yes, but we're gonna not go down that rabbit hole, even though that rabbit hole casts a shadow over the album for better or for worse, because this was the year that Biggie Smalls or Christopher Wallace was murdered in a drive-by shooting. And Puff was already working on this album before that. The lead single had come out before Biggie's murder, but he changed his direction afterwards. And that made sense commercially, but I think a lot of people saw it pretty cynically and thought, how sincere is this? Is he just capitalizing on the guy's murder because that's the in thing to do? Or is it sincere? I'm leaning towards, I think it's a mix of both. Yeah. Uh, learning that he grabbed every everybody up and went to Trinidad and banged out for two weeks, stuff that we wouldn't see, or stuff that we would see throughout 97 to 99, I, I, I really am on the fence to say if, you know, I... I believe there's sincerity in it, but I, I'm just on the fence as far as do I, do I really think he wasn't out there to make money? I think seeing the Trinidad stuff, I think he was pissed. And you're talking about that shadow that's cast over this, but inside of this rivalry, East Coast, West Coast, and seeing this death happen, it can make a man angry. And and again, I, I said it before, it can be that catalyst that propels a man slash artist into doing 10 times the, the load he would usually do. So I found some solace in really looking through this uh, with a critical eye and, and learning more about it. Yeah, I would say so. But frankly, some of the people who look at this album cynically are the folks who were working at the record label at the time. Um, in fact, uh, a few people who worked on this album actually sued Puff Daddy over unpaid royalties. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. I, I read a book by one of the Bad Boy Sidemen employees, a frequent rap writer and featured rapper Mark Curry, and it doesn't paint Puff in a favorable light at all. I heard uh, It definitely shows him as all about the money and somebody who doesn't stay true to his word and i believe parts of it for sure yeah. and i will say i don't think curry was out to make himself look glamorous the whole time he admitted to his own faults at times but we also we have to keep in mind every perspective here because then again are they currently working for diddy no they might be a little disgruntled now see there is a really fine line between me going off on wild tangents mark curry's a wild dude man you know i don't know if his word is 100 percent oof uh yeah <laughs> let, let, let me step back on that but now i hear you i hear you there were disgruntled people everywhere right yes and that seems yeah he and he was very disgruntled. He even, I mean, in the book, frankly, he spoke for some people he shouldn't have at all because he doesn't know them. He wasn't quoting them. But yeah, there were people around who were not happy about it. But at the end of the day, a lot of people were happy enough to buy the album because this was an immediate success. Number one, debut week, 
561,000 copies sold. That's crazy amount for that time. That's crazy now, but for a debut rapper, that's insane. Uh, th this is, looking back, I laugh at myself, and it's it's neat to look at and be like, oh, you silly teenager, but I was one of them, and I was literally, up until I grabbed that CD, even putting it in, even afterwards, was I, it was a love to hate. I love to hate this album. I love to hate him back then. I, I really did. I love to hate him and talk shit on him, even though I I, I, I really enjoyed tracks on this album even back then. Um, so it, there was everybody was going to get it regardless. Biggie was on it. Period. Jay Z was on it. I mean, the list of the list of artists that were on it were compelling enough. I speak for myself as as a hater on Diddy. I mean, especially back then, I, I was like, well, we got to hear this shit. I mean, we got to hear what's going on. Yeah, but... <laughs> and that shit sold. Everybody had this. I don't care who you were. This was in your CD book. Yeah, for, seven for... times platinum. So in <laughs> yeah. the US, so in a lot of people's and uh, Yeah, five top 20 hits. Four of them were top two. So yeah, a lot of people were listening to this, but clearly this was designed for mass appeal with the guest list and the samples used. Yeah. I mean, one of the, the singles was we knew back from 96 of a DJ Clue mixtape. You know what I'm saying? It was it was already viral. I, I'll use the word viral, but we didn't use it back then. But, you know, everybody already knew that song and it still killed. And yeah, we'll get to it, that. It, <laughs> but, did. it did. Quite a bit of this did kill. And uh, it did win a Grammy for best rap album in 97. I'm not going to lie. This is speculation on my part. Something tells me Diddy bought the award. What, what do you know offhand? And you probably do. And I'm not mad at you if you don't. Do you know what he went up against? So a few of the ones he was up against. One was Life After Death, actually. No shit. Uh, also, I'm not remembering them all, but oh, why Clef Jean's solo debut? And he won a Grammy the year before as a Fuji. Yeah. And then we had... Um, Jay-Z's second album and Missy Elliott's debut. Oh, damn, for real? And that was, this that was, was a pretty packed category. Yeah, and this was the winner. I Someone <laughs> tells me there was some payola involved. Well, I ain't going to throw that shade, but there's some albums in that mix that I probably would have picked over top of this. <laughs> I mean, I don't know all the albums, but frankly, most of those, all of them are better rappers than Diddy. Let's be real. They're all better rappers than Diddy, even Wyclef. That Missy Elliott joint was was great. Wyclef, I don't know. I love Wyclef, but that album, I don't know if that deserves it. The first one, a lot of people <laughs> liked that. I mean, hey. it's no miseducation, but it did what it had to do, I guess. I hear you there. I hear then you again, there. what is miseducation? What else is close, I guess? I don't know. Ooh, that's, a, that's a different discussion. That, that it is. That it is. So Grammy for best rap album of the year. Yeah. I, you know, I don't care if you love the hated or you loved it. Look at look at the acclaim. Look at the acclaim. Yeah. And this this one, our poll, 50 percent of our votes were for True. this album. So yeah. wow, and maybe some of them were folks who wanted the who loved the hated as well. Maybe some of them were in that crowd. But I mean, I don't know what else to say, really. I think we just got to dive on in and. Uh, Get into Puff Daddy and the family and elaborate. Yeah, let's do it. This preface a bit, because that's what we're going to do. So 
Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It's called No Way Out and it begins with an intro called No Way Out, which is a prayer and clearly a reference to the murder of Biggie Smalls. Uh, it's clearly a bit indulgent. And uh, as as is Diddy, as is as Diddy. is Diddy, I, I'm gonna say this over and over again. I mean, it, at, it's Diddy, you know, it's him, all right. And uh, this is a bit controversial too, because there's a whole discourse about. I mean, I don't, it's a very complicated thing to get into, but there, I from what I understand, there was a lot of debate of uh, with these with all this talk about God on the album and in public appearances, are we? making Biggie out to be a saint because he wasn't. He had a rap sheet. And that was a debate among many, it seemed. And I don't feel qualified to comment on that at all because he clearly came from a very different culture than I did. So I don't know. Heard I mean, yeah, no, I'm with you. I'm with you. I I I'm I'm sticking my guns on that and I'm not I'm not even gonna go there. I'll tell you what though, as far as an intro to this album, I don't know. I don't know if uh, if you open the album like this, because I think there's other pieces on the album that clearly get this across. And I think they're in the correct spots and I think they're paced correctly. And I think you lead off with your second track here. I don't think you need this, even in the even in the 90s, you know, in the 90s, we 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 were almost desensitized to these little skits and intros and we enjoyed them. We, We loved them. But I, for me, this one, it sort of falters. And I love what you said. It, it feels self-indulgent, which looking back then, automatically we're like, here we go. Puff's already talking it up. Let's go. Let's see what happens here. Yes, indeed. But it does go into our first song on the album, Victory, which I agree should have just opened the album. And this features Two rappers, Notorious B.I.G. and Busta Rhymes. This is actually Biggie's final recorded verses. He recorded this the day before he was killed. So that puts something on it for sure. It samples going the distance from the Rocky soundtrack. I think this sample is really well used here. Definitely creates an anthemic feel like the Rocky soundtrack does, frankly. And... uh, It's definitely one of the best samples on the album. And uh, this is Biggie's song. He owns the song. It's about him. Buster Rhymes does the choruses. Diddy, he's a marketer, not really much of a rapper. And that's very clear when you're next to, I mean, not just Notorious B.I.G., but perhaps most, uh, it's most proven there. But that's also not fair because... In many people's eyes, Biggie is the greatest rapper of all time. So that's a different discussion. But some would say no one looks good to him. But this is definitely gangster rap. And uh, in that case, I think it works for what it is. I'll say that. All right. 
that's putting it lightly in my book because this shit jumps off crazy. I mean, you literally got the Rocky theme, boom, 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 boom. As a young man, this is already a crazy pump up for me regardless. I'm glad you said it. And I, I like that we're touching on this because sometimes I thought it was just me hating, but here we go. On your debut rap album, your first track, you cut, you got yourself as the hype man to one of the best, one, a great biggie verse, period. Okay, a phenomenal verse. Plus it's haunting for me as a listener, a little bit haunting because I know this is right before he passed and he kills it. And then on top of that, you got busted. I mean, for me, I'll never forget hearing this for the first time. Uh, when Buster Rhymes comes out going nuts uh, in, in perfect Buster Rhyme fashion, for me, I was eating it up. I was eating this track up. I don't know if on my first listen, I skipped back and listened to this again, but this was game on, especially if you want to get pumped up for, you get pumped up for whatever you want to get pumped up on this song. I won't tell you what we used to get pumped up doing. That. You know, this was, and this was a fight song. Why could I say it? Like I, we weren't crazy fight boys, but like this was one that if you were pissed about something, you could play this and get yourself a little bit more pissed off. It's a great workout song too, you know? It has that pumped up mentality inside of it, um, or at least for me. Uh, the mindset of looking at it as an album and speaking me and you, I think it's an ironic and sort of fitting lead for this album, especially yes. as a retrospective. Um, and this no way out mentality that he was talking about that he flipped into because he, you know, he thought there was no way out of this east coast west coast well this was one day before it happened and you recorded a track that was like fuck it victory like we are those motherfuckers i I'm, i might curse a little bit more on this one i apologize because uh, i put myself in a mindset of this but still like you are straight boasting on this track and it's the opener so in no way do i think this is a concept album but i always and we always talk about how these these tracks are put on this album i think this is a clever opener if not uh, ironic uh because of what had happened one day after it. i think it, it fits and i'll say it again biggie kills it on this i completely agree and for some reason this was the fifth and final single from the album uh and it only made it to 19 on the Hot 100. And I mean, once you're at the fifth single, how well is it going to do to begin with? Yeah. That, when you go back to that Diddy mentality, even with the, taking everybody to Trinidad and being like, we're going to have two years worth of stuff to put out. He's always looking, planning. This one was highly regarded from listeners that I knew. So it made sense, I guess, because he thought it would still be hard. What, what do you know? Was it more than a year? I mean, fifth single was that inside of '97? No, this was '98 no, yeah, by that yeah. point. He, he probably figured he'd just get a resurgence off it because it's one of the hardest tracks on the album, I would think. Uh, but yeah, I'm totally with you. By the fifth single, of course, it's going to go 19. We're a year away and people are listening to fresh stuff, you know? Yeah. I mean, he still spent $2.7 million on the video, though. So this video was cool as shit, though. <laughs> then it was all worth it. After all, the 90s had some pretty badass videos. Let's not get ourselves. No, I feel you. I feel you. You watch the video for this one? I didn't. <laughs> and it, this is it's wild, man. It's a, it's a crazy one. <laughs>
I am sure it is, but uh, I still question why this was chosen as a single over the next song on the album, Been Around the World. I'm so sorry. This wasn't a single? No, Been Around the World was a single. Oh, okay, okay. I, I don't get why it was chosen before Victory. I do, but I don't quality-wise, but getting ahead of myself here. Uh, My and this one also features the Notorious B.I.G., and this time Mace, another person who plays a role on this album quite a bit. And uh, there's the sample for this is Let's Dance by David Bowie, and the chorus is an interpolation reworking of Lisa Stansfield's all around the world, and Biggie does that chorus. Um, I am not a fan of this sample. I love Let's Dance by David Bowie. Definitely one of my favorite songs by him. If not my favorite, that might be an unpopular opinion, but I love Let's Dance. However, it just does not work as a, a, a hip-hop melody for this East Coast rap. It, it doesn't work for me. It just falls completely flat, and... Uh, it's catchy enough, I guess, but I don't think the verses are all that memorable. And uh, the chorus is all right, but I, this is just a very odd fit, in my opinion. But clearly, I was in the minority because this made it all the way up to number two on the Hot 100, and it was 19 for the year 1998. So I know, you look like you disagree with me a bit on that. No, I, I don't. I don't. I don't necessarily. Well, I disagree with the, the David Bowie hit, but really those eyes that you see and me like grabbing on the beard is just me trying to think back then, really put myself in. The David Bowie for me was what would grab me because I automatically was like, what? They're going to use Less Dance on the top of this? And I enjoyed how they, they fused it in. I mean, for this, I feel like it's a banger, but only because I remember it as a banger. When I listen to it now, it feels a little bit slower than I remembered it being. I always, I always love hearing Biggie sing. Period. <laughs> but for me, back then, this was Diddy's first chance. This was his first two verse that we heard from, even with the and and there was a strong intro from Mace and his verse. You know, um, it was okay, and you were like, all right, but it needed to be here in number three because Mace did so well. And the song for me hit beat wise that it almost masked the elementary rapping that, that Diddy was doing here. He got his two verses and he did well. Don't get me wrong. It's not the worst I've heard him do, especially not the worst I've heard him do on this album, but I feel like that's why we're up here. And that's why it might've got chosen before uh, as far as a single goes, because they needed to, I mean, Mace was hot, uh, especially coming oh, yeah. off this, and and people were gravitating towards that. Uh, we go back to the family aspect. This is another one of the pieces that needed, needed, needed to be there for this album to be successful, and I think it speaks inside of this track as well. Okay, that that is a fair point, and uh, I just think of all the there's several pop hits from 1983 sampled on this album. To me, this yeah. one was the oddest fit for some reason, but not even the oddest choice. But we'll get to what I think is the oddest uh, song to go after in it. But that's not till a long time from now. We're not even close to that. Heard that, heard that. I don't even think it's what you're thinking it is. I'm surprised. I'm really surprised that you didn't dig the Bowie piece on this. 
Um, I but didn't then like again, a... it's years after too. So I, I don't know. It just, it, it fit. It, it, the end of that Bowie sample where it comes like dan ticket dan ticket dan ticket dan ticket was one not only iconic that that transition was iconic for the period but also it felt like that that diddy flash so for me that that fusing made sense and and it, it resonated with me but yeah no I was just surprised that you didn't oh. dig that I somehow I think diddy did better sampling the one hit wonders of the 80s, but we'll get to that. We're not there yet. Heard that. So now we have our first Diddy solo song, What You Gonna Do. Uh, it samples the song It's Over by Eddie Holman. Um, oh boy. <laughs> this is why we say Diddy isn't a great rapper or Puff Daddy or whatever the hell you want to call him, because uh, this is just imposterine. That's what that is. That's all I hear. And uh, he does have some tragedy in his backstory, but this isn't real. This doesn't hit hard. Like somebody like Biggie, it works because you know he came from such a rough upbringing or Nas even like we talked about before when we did Illmatic. You know he saw that stuff. Like this just isn't very real. And uh, I also find the lyrics quite misogynistic, frankly, but maybe that was meant to be ironic, but that's not how, not how I saw it. And this just falls flat for me. Not great. Yeah, I'll, I'll use the word falls flat. There's a couple aspects of this song that I enjoy. Uh, I love the old school beat loop that that is the beat for this. I'm a sucker for those jazz flute loops. For me, the, the strings almost hidden in the background really carry that loop for me. And I enjoy that as its its own piece. <laughs> Literally out of my notes, this one always rings a little weak. It's not the point of the narrative that rings a little weak, but Diddy's performance on this on this track rings weaker. Uh weak, weaker than we heard so far. This is your first standalone. Um, there's places early on where he hits it. Especially early on in the first verse, um, he has some really unique rhythms and almost a unique rhyme because, and we'll touch on this throughout, but a lot of this album, he sticks to this AABB rhyme scheme, this elementary rhyme scheme. And it, it just, it's easily spotted by your, especially your hardcore hip hop guys. But now you got hardcore hip hop guys who are looking to hate and you're doing you're not even doing Dr. Seuss rhymes. You're doing like elementary rhymes. But I mean, this song, it, it, it has a cool beat. It really does. That's about it. When he gets to the spoken, almost like spoken word part of by like the third verse, it just, it's gone on way too long for me. This could have been way shorter. I just, I didn't, I didn't dig this. I, I, I don't even think I listened to this song like more than twice back in the day. Um, I, I probably not probably I listened to this song way more going through critically this time um, than I ever did back then. Not not one of my favorites. Oh, I can definitely see this. This is a skip in my book, but yeah. Fortunately, I think we're in a better spot for our track five, um, which is "Don't Stop What You're Doing." It's credited as featuring Lil Kim, but. The hook is sang by Kelly Price. She appears quite a bit on this album and is not credited as a featured artist, which I don't agree with because 
she plays a huge role in making the songs that she's on work as well as they do. And this is one of them. This song samples the song Don't Stop the Music by Yarborough and Peoples. I think this is a good sample. I feel like those R&B disco sounds really just go well with hip hop for whatever reason. I don't know what it is, but that automatically works for me. And if we want to talk pop rap, this is it. This is a song I could really see going over well in a club and being like a party starter. And uh, I mean, again, we have a great singer doing the hook. She's got a strong, soulful voice, and uh, it really carries the song. And I gotta say, I'm not the most familiar with Lil' Kim. I remember she was pretty popular when I was a kid, but obviously I was not allowed to listen to that when I was a kid. No sorry, Bob. Popular for all the wrong, well, not all the wrong reasons, for, for a lot of the wrong reasons. Uh, yeah, and uh, I mean, she went to jail when I was a kid, come on. So... No, I was not listening to Lil' Kim. I actually remember seeing her CD cover in Best Buy. <laughs> oh my, and I was like, whoa. Yeah, yeah. But her verse is solid. Solid. I really think it is. And you can just tell she's a boss and she can throw it down. And she really did here. And she showed that you can see why Biggie endorsed her and had her as a part of the Junior Mafia because she definitely has some skills uh, that, I mean, let's face it, they were in many ways overshadowed by some of the other stuff that she's done and her image, but this is a strong verse. Little Kim, I'll go off on a tangent here a little bit. Little Kim is to Cardi B for me as far as as almost the same sort they are those them girls that seen it that lived it lived inside they can do some things and they can do some things really well and it's not always just rapping <laughs> you know what i'm saying yep. and 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 i always respect little kim for that little kim was a, a wild lady a wild woman but as far as this track goes i'm so glad you said she had a solid verse because here we are uh and we come off with a with with a beat that for me is almost like a mix of what we got on Been Around the World intro and the What You Gonna Do intro put together. And Diddy's first verse is weak. And then you got little Kim's verse and her precision on her rhymes makes the first verse sound even weaker. So then you got the second Diddy verse and he, he is straight in this. I, I don't wanna beat this to death, but straight in this AABB rhyme scheme here, and a lot of these rhymes are the same word. You know what I'm saying? And so it, it feels even weaker uh, for the majority of, of the, the rest of the song. I remember back in the day laughing on this because Little Kim killed it and Puff Daddy couldn't even keep up with her. There are some pieces on this album where I feel like he steps up to the plate because of the players he's around. And I feel like he didn't here because clearly... If you're gonna rap, if you're gonna put Kim, Lil Kim in the middle of your verses, you better sandwich it with some airtight shit. And unfortunately, he didn't on this one. Uh, she carries this song, and it's the only reason this song, in my opinion, is cool. It's a good song. It's an okay song because of Lil Kim. Period. And we go back because of this family aspect. Now, I start asking myself, could he have even pulled off an album by himself? And yeah. at this point, I say no. 
at this point back then listening i said no and uh, yeah that is very clear there's a reason i didn't mention his verses because uh, what's the point after yeah. what lil kim did there's Heard. i forget that puff even was on the song on this it's like oh it's his album totally forgot because kim demolished you but yeah. and anyway we all, and, we, and we only heard her for like a minute of the track you know? but <laughs> she made the song hers it exactly. might as well have been on kim's album that's real shit frankly um but anyway speaking of people overshadowing puff that definitely happens on the next song, too, If I Should Die Tonight, which is labeled as an interlude. It's a reworking of the Marvin Gaye song of the same name from his 1973 album, Let's Get It On. And we have Puppy. He's not even rapping. He's talking about seeing deceased loved ones like Biggie and his grandmother. And uh, that's just kind of there. The star of this song is the featured vocalist, Carl Thomas. And... Not somebody I'm super familiar with, but I have to say, um, to take on a Marvin Gaye song, you're not playing around. That is vocally not somebody you should take on lightly. Uh, truly one of the greatest singers that ever graced this planet. What a voice. Uh, and this guy, I'm not going to say he's as good as Marvin Gaye, but... He gave a great effort, I mean, uh, and I love that classic, so I love Old Motown, and Carl Thomas's singing just is what makes this noteworthy to me. I really think he did a wonderful job on something that most singers wouldn't even dare touch, and uh, the fact that he came out of it showing off his gift makes it even more impressive. Yep, I agree with you there. I'll even go as far as to let you know that I, not until did my research on this, I thought that was a straight up Marvin Gaye sample back in the day. I, I, I believe I straight, that. I straight up thought that was a Marvin Gaye sample the whole way through. Um, as far as this interlude goes, we talked earlier about No Way Out intro and being like, was it needed? This is, for me, pretty much the same mentality um so why do that in the start of the album if you're already planning to do it in the interlude of the album for me this is like a no shit moment unfortunately and i don't want to sound crass and i don't want to sound heartless on this but it just doesn't maybe it's my disposition even as a young man uh to diddy but it doesn't carry the heaviness of the situation that he's talking about and it feels phoned in and and it, it just always sounds contrived to me i don't care how many times i listen to this it just never sounds sincere and and i it i just i don't buy it i don't buy it, it it's you might it might as well be a skit you know what i'm saying and that that sounds terrible and sounds heartless but just critically it, it's 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 tough for me it just it's phoned well, in you're not wrong though and also, I have to say, um, I don't think what he's saying really fits with the song that we're covering, Here's considering that this is uh, literally a song. It's a love song. I mean, it's from an album about sex. It's Bedroom Soul, frankly. That's what he was doing. The album's called Let's Get It On, for Christ's sake. <laughs> and you're going to talk about your grandmother do uh, over this? I don't think that makes a whole lot of sense to my, in my, not in my book. 
Heard. I don't get that at all. I think it's a very, very odd fit. But I like the singing, though, so I'll give it points for that. There you go. <laughs> yeah. But uh, now we have an actual song, another Diddy solo. Do you know the samples Concentrate by the Gators and... The chorus is a reworking of Theme from Mahogany by Diana Ross. I have to say, the highlights for me on this song are definitely the piano's beautiful. And once again, Kelly Price doing this chorus. And this one's even more impressive to me than the previous one because she has a strong voice in her own right, Kelly Price, but she does not sound like Diana Ross much in my book. However, she makes this chorus her own by doing that. And uh, to do that effectively, really, that, again, takes some guts. I mean, we're talking about the first lady of Motown. She's not the great soul singer of all time, but she's got a beautiful voice, and uh, it got her quite far in her life. Uh, so uh, for her to do that and make it her own really says a lot about her gifts as a vocalist, Kelly Price, that is, to take on something by a very different vocalist than her and add it to this hip-hop song. And that's one of Diana Ross's least hip-hop-friendly songs for a sample. It's a movie soundtrack ballad. It's not like we're doing I'm Coming Out sampled on Mo Money, Mo Problems. That's not what this is at all. But yeah, I like it. I, it may be a bit redundant, but I think she makes it work okay. But I don't have a whole lot to say about Diddy here, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that seems to be the theme. Not so much the theme, but unfortunately that has been our topic on some of these tracks so far. And we go into seven, do you know? The production and composition on this beat is ridiculous. The, the, you said it. The way the piano is, is on this track is phenomenal. Um, critically listening to this over and over again, I'm con I still am not convinced, but I'm leaning towards they really worked the piano around Diddy's slower rap style because it's perfect. And I see, and this is why I'm on the fence because I sound like a hater again, but I just can't believe that the same rapper that was floundering tracks before is now found this just in and out style where he can fit on this piano maybe that's just me it still feels elementary the way he's rapping through this and and that's why i i don't i don't buy it but gosh darn that beat is perfect that piano kills that beat changes so much while it stays the same throughout this track that it keeps the track fresh even though he's the only one rapping on this track. I mean, don't get me wrong. You said everything that I wanted to say about the sung chorus on this. But like, as far as Diddy's alone on this one again, and if it's not for those two pieces, this song's nothing. You know, I have to think production team knows that. I have to think they they feel it and, and maybe they step up and they stepped up. If that's the case, they stepped up huge on this one because I'll say it again, that composition Wow, chef's kiss on that one. Yeah, but the last thing I want to say about this is I find it interesting that over a year after this album was released, Kelly Price um, collaborated with 
Another female vocalist featured very prominently later in the album, Faith Evans. They collaborated with the late, great Whitney Houston in 1998. So okay. that was the first time I ever heard of any of those ladies. Heartbreak Hotel. Wonderful song, I think. But there you go. Unfortunately, we're not talking about the late, great Whitney Houston, even though I kind of wish we were. But <laughs> not today. It's fine. Instead, we're talking about Young G's next. And... Uh, Oh, we have both Biggie and Jay-Z featured on this song. So my only question is, is Puff trying to say he's not a great rapper by putting <laughs> himself on the same song as Biggie Smalls and Jay-Z? I mean, Jay-Z was just getting started here. To be fair, his debut had come out the year before this, but he already had it in the can. He was doing his thing and on his way to the top, most certainly. And uh, this song's got a lot of samples in it. Uh, we've got a sample from Unbelievable by Biggie. That's where his part comes from. And we've also got samples of Vapors by Biz Marquis and On the Hill by Oliver Sane. And uh, the chorus is a reworking of Little Ghetto Boy sung by Donnie Hathaway originally, but this chorus is done by Kelly Price once again. Why she's not mentioned as a featured artist, I don't know, but it really bothers me quite a bit. Uh, I gotta say, overall for this one, even though I think Biggie and Jay-Z are strong individually, I don't feel like these verses between these guys really connect all that well. I think this song's a bit disjointed. And Biggie wins. He has the best part on the song, but I think there's too many cooks in the kitchen on this one. You got me with the Biggie verse. That's my <laughs> my favorite verse out of three. But that's saying everything really about this track. And, and I'm glad that you said that so I could come in on this because Jay-Z's verse was sick. I can see where you say they might not be, be uh, cohesive 100%. But for me, this is the first time, even back then, where I have to give credit to Diddy stepping up to the plate. And I talked about it a little bit earlier, but now that he is in with Jay-Z and Biggie, I feel like he steps up. I remember back in the day saying that that wasn't him on the first verse uh, because it just was so much better than what we had seen from him throughout this album. Um, this is the level that he needed to perform at. And he did on this track. Um, this is, this is a classic track for me. This is, this is one that just nostalgia ridden. Um, but as far as a critical listener, this track really lends an amazing amount of credibility to this album and to Diddy in itself for me. I mean, of course, Jay-Z is going to kill it. Of course, Biggie's going to kill it. I mean, even in the infancy of Jay-Z, as you, as you spoke uh, at this point, his sound is defined. His style is defined. You know automatically when you hear him. It doesn't matter what track it's on. Same with Biggie. They're, they're iconic, even, even at this point. So I guess sum it up, it was great to see Diddy step up on this one. I agree with you, but I do want to know one more thing about this song. I feel like by having both Biggie and Jay-Z on this album in 1997, where in some way getting two things, we're seeing 
recent past of hip hop with Biggie and the coming few years and future with Jay-Z because that was really when Jay-Z took over as one of the top rappers. And uh, it does beg this question in my head. Of course, we'll never know the answer. There's no doubt in my mind, Jay-Z still would have been a very successful artist, but a part of me has to wonder within this whole West Coast scheme, if Biggie had not been murdered, would Jay-Z be as big as he has become? A part of me wonders. I still say, think he would have been big. Yeah. He he would have been big. I'd have to say yes. I'd have to say he would have been big. I, I, I'll i give you a, a flip side for me or, or an addition for me on that one. I always think how great it would have been to see them. As as we find with a lot of great young artists that die early, It would. it's always great to imagine what, have, could, what it could have been like throughout life with them growing older together and see what they would have come up with more so than I, I believe Jay-Z would, would have made it wholeheartedly and been as big as he was. Um, but it would have been cool to, to see what, what they could have produced together. That would have been insanity. Oh, I totally agree. Absolutely. But it's a question I just can't help but ponder. But <laughs> Of yeah, course, I, we can't rewrite history, so. I, I mean, I'll give Diddy another one on here, and, and you just sparked it in, in my brain as, as we're, we're chatting, but what a great introspective look when you say, you know, here's a future and here's the, 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 the past. Um, one, I'd like to credit Diddy by, of course, knowing that immediately and putting them together on on this track but i go back to the trinidad stuff of grabbing everybody up i don't know if he was quoted on it or if it was a paraphrase but he said that's it we're going to take over the radio for the next two years so his mindset is let's go like we are taking over and i think it was a calculated move to bring jay-z in on this on this adventure on this album period yeah, I, it definitely helped boost him. There's no doubt in my mind about that because for this album, it definitely worked to have Diddy everywhere because he actually for over half of the year of 1997, something either produced or performed by Diddy was on top of the charts. There was a small exception when Umbop by Hanson tops the charts in between the long reign of one of the songs on the album, but... Bop. Hey, I'm not hating on it. <laughs> it it's a banger. What are you gonna say? It's, uh, well, we'll get to why I think maybe we needed Umbop in 1997. Uh, later <laughs> on, when we get to that point, I think you know what I'm talking about. But, <laughs> but anyway, on to the next song, track number nine. I love you, baby. This one features. Black Rob, and it samples the song X to Bay by Ema Sumac. I hope I pronounced that all correctly. Um, <laughs> this one, uh, very pretty orchestral elements. I love a good string section. Well, except when it's radio head, of course, but here <laughs> <laughs> it works for me okay. Um, to me, I definitely feel that Black Rob has a similar vocal style to Biggie. That definitely is who I can tell he's probably most influenced by. 
And I don't think he's quite as good at it as Biggie, but it still works. But he definitely has that real laid back on the mic kind of tone that I I enjoy it. I'm not going to lie. I was actually quite saddened to hear that um, Black Rob is no longer with us, unfortunately. Yeah. Sounds like he had some real hardships in his life, unfortunately. But indeed, indeed. I, I liked his part on this song. I don't think he's quite Jay-Z necessarily or Biggie, but yeah. I liked what he did here and uh, probably deserved a bit better, probably deserved some more good features, I'm sure. But I feel like this is about the sample. I do enjoy the sample here. I do find the hook pretty annoying and that brings it down a peg for me big time. That that hook, I, I'm totally with you. That hook is almost, it almost takes I'm, I'm gonna say almost that hook takes me out of the song period uh, you know black rob lends that same gangster credibility that we saw on the track before and and really continues that 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 vibe onto this track and diddy sounds okay on this track but yes. i'm with you man that hook is out of there i for me i love i love harkening back to the 97 sounds and 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 the skits and whatnot i love the soundtrack style production with like bullet shots and and ricochet stuff in the background i think that helps to elevate the narrative on this one the gunshots and whatnot so i those points are are coming back up but man that hook love you baby oh that's not me that's not for me babe now but we, I do want to say this right now. This album may have its skits and theatrical elements. There was one skit earlier in here after, yeah, it was after Been Around the World. I forgot to mention it. I just, but they've got nothing uh, compared to the Fugees when it comes to the skits. Nah, I mean, and real quick, if we touch on that, that was a perfect skit for that end of that track in my opinion because that's what we were all saying we were all bullshitting on them they're like this this is gonna rap now like this is real this, get out of here and and i i thought that was actually pretty bold of him to to put on there because it was pretty much like yeah right now look how many i sold up what is it <laughs> would you say seven times platinum yeah. <laughs> so yeah it was uh it was a tongue-in-cheek shout out to all the haters which can't hate you for that one Yes, and uh, the seven times platinum meant one thing to Diddy and the folks involved with this, I'm sure. It was all about the Benjamins, track 10. That's real. That's Uh, real. So this is a remix of it. It features Biggie, Lil' Kim, and The Locks. It was, according to Mark Curry, originally intended for The Locks Mm -hmm. for their debut album. But as you said, it was on a mixtape before this, and... This might be Diddy's signature song as a rapper, frankly. And, uh, well, I'll say this. He raps about what he knows here. True. And uh, that is what you should do. Write what you know, sing what you know, rap what you know. And uh, Diddy definitely knows about money. His world revolves around it. I think that's pretty clear. So this is effective coming from him. Uh, But... This version has two samples, Love Unlimited's I Did It For Love and uh, the Jackson 5's It's Great To Be Here. Uh, I have a hot tea take about this song. I think this is going to be a really unpopular opinion. 
But um, I actually think the strongest verse on this song is Lil Kim's. I like Biggie's verse just fine, but I think it's a bit disconnected from the rest of the song for some reason. I mean, to be fair, there's a pretty vague unifying thread here. It's about the Benjamins. We want that money. And that can go all kinds of ways. But that's it. Yep. Lil' Kim's the MVP here for me. Woo! Um, she had a hot, she had a hot verse on this. I'm see, there's mad levels to this one for me. Um, I'm a hater of almost everything on this track. If if we go back to 97, Corey, even even Corey to this day. Uh, I'm not a big Jada Kiss fan. I don't really mess with Jada Kiss like that. Uh, Locks, uh, don't get me wrong on this on this track. I'll give it to everybody. Everybody did well. Uh, Little Kim, she always stands out. Charlie, I love that you you enjoy these, but for me, she always stand stood out as a crispness, as a uh, almost like squeezing a lime at the end of a dish. You know that that little bit of acid that might burn you if you have an open cut. <laughs> But it's gonna it's gonna make the end dish so beautifully balanced, and I, always, I that's why I loved her like that. Um, but she did, you know, she she sang out true on this one. Um, like you said, we knew this from the DJ Clue mixtape, but even though we did, it still hit on this album the first time we heard it. You know, it's it's one of them ones that'll always be there. I always love the little track change into the Biggie uh, verse. It is disconnected. You're right, but it's on purpose. And I, for me, and I, and I dig that because he gets a whole, the track just goes into a melodic track and then goes back into the uh, the old bragging about the Benjamin. I'm sorry, all about the Benjamins. <laughs> I, I also, if you want to go into a little bit more about me, especially back then listening, I was never one for the braggadocious tracks i was never one for the rims and the tims and the women and the this and i'm rich and a blah 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 and that wasn't me and it was really a big reason why i wasn't a huge fan of a lot of dirty south because for me that dirty south mentality and i think we touched on this back in the nas and, and fuji's uh podcast but that that dirty south mentality was really braggadocious and we get that here I still yeah, don't fuck, i don't fuck with you like that jada kiss <laughs> Yeah, this is definitely showing, uh, I'm not a hip-hop expert, but I do think that this is a bit of a shift away from the East Coast hip-hop sound we've been hearing up to this point in terms of it being more braggadocious, because we talked East Coast hip-hop here before, just, I mean, Nas, Bougies, that's not all that braggadocious. This is. This is, this is in the same vein as maybe for some listeners that 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 aren't familiar or are familiar with newer i guess stuff this is the same stuff you see with g unit this is the same stuff you see with rough riders this is the same stuff you see with uh and i'm not grouping this in a negative way i'm saying this is the same stuff you see with like no limit this is that group song where everybody's just gonna go out and and i'm not gonna even say brag anymore you know just go out and 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 it's a gang song and not in a gang like street gang mentality, but it's it's a it's a it's a gang song. This is who they were. And they, they were running like that. All about the Benjamins. Locks. Ah, I could go on for a million on this one. I, Locks and P. Diddy. I, anyway, go on. Go go on. It was it, it's still a banger to this day, though. It still, it still makes sense. And it still rings true in the in the ears of the listeners to this day. 
See, I'm laughing about the gang rap songs with a whole squad. Yeah. Because the one of my generation actually, it's a bit braggadocious, but in a different way. It is Young Money's Bedrock. <laughs> I, I, I feel you. I feel you. It's that kind of mentality. It really is. Uh, I mean... Bedrock and Bedrock. I don't even think about that. But that's that's, that's always what I think of when I think of the gang rap song because that was the that was the shit for a lot of people, even right. though I think it's kind of so bad it's just, it's fantastic in its own way. Some some of them end up being like that. Some of them end up being like that. Um yeah, I, I oh man, I, I you know, I, I started to go from that rant, but the players in this song don't necessarily fit each other. And <laughs> I, I used to hate that back in the day too. Like, damn. But then and and that's another thing where it's like I was hating back then, but you look at it on that on that hype man type of thing. If you want people to take you seriously on this album, oh, it, it's this is the fight I have with myself throughout this, you know? Is it a puff <laughs> is it a puff daddy album or is it a bad boy album? Or is it, you know, I mean... It's a bad boy album. That's real shit. Like, you might as uh, Anyway. But either way, <laughs> it didn't matter. This made it up to number two on the pop charts, and it's considered a hip-hop classic, whether you love it or not. True, so, true. But uh, enough of the gang rap. We're going to get real and confessional on our next song. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Track number 11, Pain, which features a sample of Roberta Flack singing. Good choice. And uh, this is the most personal song on the album. It's actually inspired by the loss of Puff Daddy's father. So when Sean Combs was two years old, his father was murdered because of the stuff he was involved with. His father was a drug dealer, and he was making plenty of money for his family, but... Not running in the best circles, and because of that, uh, that's kind of what can happen. So the moral of the story is, don't be a drug dealer. Don't get involved with drug dealers. It's probably not going to end well for you. Might end in murder. I'm just saying. (laughs) Just saying. I mean, what this guy was saying, we're not talking your small town weed dealer. This was heavy New York shit this guy was doing so but that was definitely the um main tragedy present in puff daddy's backstory and frankly in the rap world it probably gave him some street cred um for better or for worse Uh, and uh, this song also mentions a interesting incident this one i i really am very confused about more than anything um There was an AIDS fundraiser held at City College in 1991 organized by Sean Combs and Heavy D. And uh, too many tickets were sold for the event and it resulted in a stampede that led to nine people being killed, which is a tragedy. Now, Mark Curry in his book said that 
Diddy knew what he was doing. He just wanted to make as much money as possible. I'm not sure about that. I do think that his talk on this does feel sincere. He does sound genuinely like he has guilt in his heart about what happened. And realistically, even though the families did, I believe some of them actually sued Diddy, it's kind of hard to put it directly on him just because he organized the event. Just because too many tickets were sold, there definitely could have been some more checks and balances put in place there. And uh, we can't always control a crowd and whether or not they're going to get into a stampede. And it's terrible to say. It's horrible that nine people lost their lives because of this. But, like, how do you put that on somebody? And I actually think it's sincere in this song. I don't think... Combs is always sincere, but I think this song is very sincere. And of course, Biggie's murder is mentioned, but because it's in the context of these real tragedies that Combs, Diddy, whatever you want to call him, faced before he was famous, I think that kind of puts it all on the same playing field. And uh, I think this is definitely the most sincere song on the album. And I really like the sample, too. Yeah, I'm with you. You say New York shit, I I say New York sound. This is, for me, the most spot-on New York sound we've heard on this album. The sincerity of this narrative, I'm totally with you. This is a great narrative from Diddy. Uh, it's one of my favorites from him, period. This, I'm going from my notes right here. You really get to see into that window that I always talk about in the artist on this one. And, and, I, and I feel it because of that sincerity. It almost reminds me of some Nas stuff. Uh, the the way this is layered and the way yeah. that his narrative plays out on this um, and the beat I love that beat that beat is so slick and it just it changes just slightly enough to keep the the track really fresh throughout I I always have uh, enjoyed this song but this is this is one of my favorites on the album oh most definitely this was a contender for best on the album for me actually not quite but definitely very high up there definitely like top three on the album. I'm, I'm, I, with, I'm with you on that. Easily for me. I really enjoyed this one. And uh, speaking of top tracks on the album, I'm going to spoil it right now. The next one's one of them for me as well. Track number 13. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Track number 12. I'm getting ahead of myself here. Track 12. Is this the end? This features Genuine, Twista, and Carl Thomas. And it samples a new edition song of the same name. Okay, good choice. And, uh, all right, yeah, this just kind of, they, I feel like this, if anything here was made for me to enjoy on a hip-hop album, it's this. Because I gotta say, I'm not an expert on Twista, but everything I've heard him done, I just love his speed rapping. He's Twista for a reason. I have always enjoyed it. Overnight Celebrity is definitely one of my favorite hip-hop songs ever. Definitely a banger right there. And he does that same technique here very well. Uh, I think it's something that could probably get tiring over like the course of an album. But when it's used effectively, it works really well. And I think it does here. And uh, I mean, Genuine, come on. (laughs) Genuine doing the chorus. You are not going to hear me complain about that. And this is right after he gave us the all-time classic Pony. So... uh, Heard? Yeah, he's he's hot here, and it, I mean, it, it's not quite his pony, but still, I enjoy this. Um, 
that's why he's on this track. Uh, you know, we talk about the calculations of of Diddy, but oh, mean, yeah, he, he was hot. Put him on that track. Yeah. And fortunately, I think he was hot for the right reasons, because that's a great song. Yeah. Whether I, I think most can agree that that's a great song and his voice soars on it. He can sing. Genuine can definitely sing. And uh, I really just like the beat. It reminds me a bit of Dark Child, actually, who really was a bigger pop producer in the years after this. But that's what it reminds me of. And that's somebody whose work I've enjoyed quite a bit. I will say of the 80s songs sampled on the album, I think this is the least cheesy one. Yeah, easily. So I really enjoyed this song. To hear you say that you love Twister is just is is pretty wild and and really neat. <laughs> um, and, and I, you know what? I think you'd be surprised if you listen to an album because it doesn't lose its charm or its. He's he's a great rapper and he's a great fast rapper. For me, this was like okay, another track where here we go. Diddy's stepping up to the plate this one he, i don't think yeah. he hit a home run with as much as he did on young g's but to hear him even attempt at this level that fast rap because you know it's him first and, and then twister this one doesn't hit like the little kim did where i was like Psh, i even tried to rap on a track with little kim you you did all right you did okay it, it's it's not a a plus victory for you as as a faster rapper but for what he put on this track. I think he stood on his own two feet. And I did back then. I was like, okay, look at you trying to get down. Um, and 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 it, it worked out. This is this is a cool track. This is a really cool track. I mean, of course, genuine killing it. Um, but as far as Puff Daddy at this day and age being able to keep up and not look foolish with Twista on the same track says a monumental amounts of of what he got through on this one. Oh, I I agree that he did a good job, but maybe, maybe I'm very biased. Maybe, maybe I like Twista even more than I realized. No, well, you probably do, but Twista, <laughs> Twista, Twista, Twista yeah, Twista was, I mean, if you're going to say who was better on the track, of course, Twista, I mean, that's his style. Um, uh, this was, this is almost a chameleon piece uh, for, for Diddy, which I thought was, was unique too. You know, you're going to try to do his style shit all right go on i mean this twister and and he did well on it yes he did and uh, unfortunately we don't hear from him again on the album heard but we do hear from some of the guests from the benjamins again with the locks in another song apparently intended for their debut i got the power it samples don't want to come back by mother's finest I don't think much of this song beyond the synth. I do enjoy that synth. I love a good synth, but I don't think much of this beyond it. I, you don't, I mean, are you done? Because I'm done. I'm, I'm, my, mine's mine's pretty much as quick as that. I'm going to give you my real notes on this. Again, I know I've been cursing a little bit more than I do on, on most of our casts on this one, but this is my least favorite track on the album. Always has been. The beat is weak. It's contrived. It's some wannabe funk, toe jam and Earl type shit. And straight up, the raps are weak. Jada Kisses is weak. He's weak as shit on this track, period. And, and that, that's not even me being a non-fan of him. This, this track is weak. 
Uh, I mean, straight up from from front to back, it's a bullshit boasting track, and it's weak to boot. Whack. It's whack. I can't even. I'll be honest. From a production level, I can't even believe this made the album. Why? Because the locks are on. I like, get out of here, man. They're like, nah. This, this yeah. beat, psh, this beat is whack as fuck, man. <laughs> it's just a whack song. It's definitely my least favorite on the album. Okay, my it's bad. down there for me, but it's actually not mine. I get, I get mad at it. Oh, oh uh. boy. I'm guessing that on his 2004 hit, "Why You Think Jada Kiss Should Have Asked Himself." Why did my verse suck on that di- p- on that Puff Daddy album? Don't get me started on Jada Kiss. <laughs> oh. Now I think we should do a Jada Kiss album. Ooh, uh, I, hey, you know I do it for the people, uh, and and I I'll Baby, do my we can best. Each pick an album that we know will torture the other. Now I know what it is. I know your kryptonite. Now. Oh shit, Jada Kiss. But uh, fortunately, he is not on the next one. We got um. Another female rapper actually on our 14th track, Friend. This time it's Foxy Brown. And this one samples Person the Person by the Average White Band. Another uh, sample I like, okay. Um, I feel like this song's pretty average overall. And I'm going to mostly elaborate about the Foxy Brown backstory a bit. I think her verse is okay, but... In comparison to the other guests that we have heard on this album, it's pretty weak. She doesn't really stand on her own two feet. Um, and I know it's not cool to pit up women against each other, according to the internet. And I don't like to do that. But the comparison to Lil Kim is a bit inevitable. And actually, they're not too good of friends in real life. And uh, I don't know them personally, but I gotta say, if we're talking about what I'm hearing here... Kim is a much better rapper than Foxy Brown. And uh, the other interesting thing is Kim more recently is known for having a feud with Nicki Minaj and Foxy Brown decided to collaborate with Nicki Minaj because of that. And well, don't get me started on Nicki Minaj. That's all I'm going to say, because she's got a problem with everybody. And uh, I think she's the problem, even though Kim's a wild ass bitch. No, man, it's wild too because I said those those two names are are synonymous to me, and I and I always thought that's why they beefed is because they're, in my opinion, very close to the same individual inside of this universe that we all live in. Um, But I feel like you would have said the same thing about Little Kim back in the day because she was like that she she had that real that real aspect that real off-putting aspect um i love that hard shit when it came to little kim uh, you're totally on the same page as me as far as foxy brown goes on this track it, it falls flat um it just doesn't fit it doesn't fit this beat this it, foxy brown shit is weak and uh, i feel like this is a doldrum right here for this album um it's not necessarily the pacing because if you're just listening to beats, it, it it's okay. But as far as songs go, ah, this one's sort of empty. Oh, I, I think I actually think we're in the doldrums for one more song. I'm afraid track 15, Senorita. It samples two songs, Little Lady Maria by the Ohio Players and Nome Convenie by La India. 
I mean, if you wanted to do an Ohio players sample, first of all, this may be the obvious choice, but you should have done Love Roller Coaster. I mean, what were you thinking? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> Diddy didn't care about getting his samples cleared. He could have done it. They might have sued him or tried to, but he would have done it knowing him. But anyway, yeah, this is my least favorite song on the album. I just find this very bland. And it's an attempt to be sexy, and it's not. And uh, there's a much better song called Senorita by Justin Timberlake on his debut album, Justified. And I would much rather be listening to that than this. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you. The point I wanted to make was that that bass-driven track and it, it's just not for this song, you know? As far as the Senorita song goes, um, it, it, it just doesn't make it sexy. It, it just doesn't. I am not a big fan. And with this, of course, this is before the day of autotune and you hear it here. Diddy singing on this track is whack. <laughs> like, it's horrible. And I, I, you know what? I hate to say horrible, but it just, it's like, man, come on. For real, we put that on a song. You could have, you could have, we had a bunch of people in here. Somebody could have sang that. Um, it, this one, this one is another one that's not for me on this album. I wish this beat would have went to a better song. You're, you're totally right, though. Senorita is the end of this doldrum for me, um, as far as on, on this three track doldrum. Not necessarily my favorite. No, not at all. But the next song is not going to get you in the doldrums whether you love it or hate it, and people either love or hate this song. Do they ever? But we are at the home stretch here with track 16, I'll Be Missing You, featuring Faith Evans and 112, uh, the album's biggest single, its second single, and this is the tribute song to Vicky Smalls. And uh, for those who don't know, uh, this song very notably samples Every Breath You Take by the Police for its chorus. A great song, in my opinion. Most definitely. And uh, Diddy, from what it sounds like, he was ready to do this immediately. He knew we have to do a tribute song. And this was it. He really got the forces together. And this is based on the Mark Curry book that I read. He said that Sauce Money wrote a song with the police sample and reworked it upon Biggie's death. And in the book, it said that when Faith Evans heard it, she cried. And the reason that she's singing on the song is because she was married to the Notorious B.I.G. They were separated by this point, not on great terms, but it was a natural choice to have her do the hook. And, uh, well, Diddy, he, he was very confident in the song. He didn't even get the sample cleared with Sting in the place. And there was a very nice settlement gotten by Sting, from what I understand. He made quite a bit of money off of this song. So, wow. yeah, I don't know why he wouldn't have cleared the sample, but it didn't bother Sting too much. Actually, police guitarist Andy Summers had more of an issue with it. He did not like it at all, but... Sting actually performed the song with them at the MTV Awards, complete with a gospel choir. And uh, yeah, this was a huge hit. This was number one for 11 weeks. It debuted at the top of the charts. And uh, this is the song that had its run interrupted by Umbop. And well, I can see why we might have wanted something a bit peppier 
when our number one hits a song about the late Biggie Smalls. But anyway. Yeah. So the album version, I think the intro of it is really indulgent. Two minutes long. I don't need it. I'm whether we like the sample or not, maybe it's obvious, whatever. It sucks me in. I love the original. For me, it works. Didn't for everybody. A lot of people just saw this as a cash grab. I think it's partially that, but I think it's also sincere. Um, I get why people don't like the song, but I'm going to say it right now. In certain moments, this song has made me burst into tears. You gotta be in the moment for it to happen, but I, it's happened to me before, and... I am not ashamed to admit that. No, I mean, don't be. And in all honesty, anybody hating on this, it's tough because from a musical standpoint, it's a solid song. Uh, from a production standpoint, it's a genius use of a world-renowned sample that is going to hit the uh, hit the subconscious listener as we talk about immediately with that feeling. And that feeling is going to go on through this track. It, it really, for me, the sincerity is there on this regardless, but that that sample literally elevates this to that much more of a powerful, sad song, uh, a powerful reminiscing song, a powerful song of loss. And I, there's not much you could take away from this song from me anybody that hates on it i don't understand why i can see the cash grab stuff but as far as a hater on the whole cash grab thought back in the day it never even crossed my mind listening to this song this was just always maybe it was maybe it is because it was in 97 right there and and, and that's how we were feeling and and it hit the heartstrings right but this is a sincere song of loss i don't know I don't know. I can't even hate on this one. <laughs> what what can you do exactly? And uh, but really, it's transcended being just about Biggie. I think this was actually played at Princess Di's funeral too. Wow! What I read. That's crazy. So it transcended even just being about Biggie. I think it took on a deeper meaning and spoke to a lot of people because, unfortunately. Death is inevitable in our life, and we all deal with the loss of a loved one at some point, and it is painful. And this this sums it up for better or for worse. And uh, Faith Evans does a great job on that chorus. Uh, even though her and Biggie weren't on the best of terms, you can still hear the love in her voice that she had for him. And uh, overall, I am a fan of the song, even though it's pretty... 1997 was a sad year for the top of the pop charts because the only song that year that had a longer run at the top of the charts than this was Candle in the Wind 1997. Wow. So no wonder we needed some oombop. That was my point. <laughs> it makes sense now. It makes sense. I see, I, I see where you're going now. That's all a bit of a downer if you ask me, but uh, I heard that. yeah, I'll be missing you. Love it or hate it, it is an impactful song. That it is. But now, we have come to the end of the album. And in an interesting twist, this album ends with the lead single. How often does that happen? Not often, but it happened here. And this was released quite a bit before the album, but didn't matter. It was a 
big success. It is Can't Nobody Hold Me Down featuring Mace. Um, this samples the message by Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five. And the chorus is a reworking of one of the cheesiest pop hits of the 80s, Break My Stride by Matthew Wilder, a one-hit wonder, even though Wilder did end up going on to a successful career in production. And as cheesy as Break My Stride is, I love it. Nerd, yeah, I love that song. So I gotta love that hook. Can't nobody hold me down. Oh no, I got to keep on moving. Oh man, that that just hits every time. And um, so a bit of a plug here. Recently, a book that I read was The Number Ones by Tom Bryhan. It's this book selected 20 number one hits that really changed that show us the history of pop music. And this was actually one of the 20 chosen for the book, which I was a little surprised. I was like, really, of all songs, this one? And really, he summed it up best by saying that the rapping's not the best, but the confidence is off the charts, which I completely agree with. And he claimed that this was really the moment that rap music became pop music, and that's what it's been ever since. And, I mean, I I totally agree with that. This is really, I mean, over these past 25, 26 years, hip-hop has been dominant on the pop charts. Rap music is pop music now. It's not its, not its own subgenre as much anymore. It's not its own thing. Even in the 90s, like, the... Songs that were hits that were rap songs, they just, they had to make some sacrifices to do it. This one really made that intersection clear, and you gotta give it some credit for that. You do, you do. That's a perfect way to put it, too. I mean, I don't know if I just had an epiphany there, or it was just guided towards an epiphany there, but it it makes a solid point. It's a great marker uh, for when it happened. I mean, even in my notes for this, Mason Diddy do what they do on this was literally one of my notes. And that can totally be summed up by what you said. You know, what we see them do after this and the way that this pop movement goes inside of even just their music moving forward. Um, For me, this is how you end an album. Um, And I don't say that like I usually say it. Um, I say that in the mindset of Diddy. You take your number one single and you put it all the way at the end because everybody already heard this. This is back when we were bootlegging tapes and leaking. I mean, not that it doesn't happen now, but so much more. Um, So everybody knew this track was going to be there. Plus, it's that Grandmaster Flash, Break My Stride, Rock With You beat that I loved immediately from the jam. And it's it's like a guilt. It's not like it's a guilty pleasure song for me. And it even was back then. That This is one of the ones that I loved to hate, um, but I, I couldn't get past, you know, and I think it ended this album, especially after I'll be missing you. It was like, all right, we said goodbye to Biggie. Here we go. Puffy and Mace. Let's, let's put it out there. Let's get it done, because this is how we're going to do it from now on. I think it was a fitting end for this album and a very ditty end for this album i agree and speaking further to the rap becoming pop point same here of the success of this song puffy and mace were on a remix of a mariah carey song if that doesn't show you the intersection of pop and hip-hop that happened this year i don't know what does agreed agreed but they were and uh 
I think that is very clear. And uh, now we are at the end of this album. Uh, what is your grade for it? Whew. All right, here we go. Um, whew. Uh, for a debut album under such scrutiny and hate from the hardcore hip hop community, I think that Diddy and the family delivered a full and successful album. That being said, without the family aspect, in my opinion, the bevy of other artists that stepped up for this one, I don't feel like he could have nailed it on his own. And I know I said that earlier. The production value is through the roof throughout this one. And even with a few missteps here and there, with whether it be tracks or pacing of the album, the album felt good. Um, and there's bangers that still live in the minds of listeners to this day. And you can't take that away from this album. So for that, I'm going to give this album a B. Okay. I'm actually going to be the hip hop hater here. I guess I'm going to give it a C. Okay. Uh, I do think it's a bit long. I think there's some stuff that definitely could have been cut out of it. And uh, for me, there's a lot of variations just within the songs because I can talk about what works okay. and there's plenty that works. It's a lot of times from the family that's included here. And we can go on and on about that. But my big issue is even when it doesn't work for me, it's not even like it doesn't work in a way that's going to get a big reaction out of me. Like, it's not like I'll, I'll give them credit. Like last week when we did Radiohead, I didn't like what they were doing at all, but it got a reaction out of me. Heard. What doesn't work here doesn't even inspire that in me. And that's why I'm just kind of like, okay, because I have to give you some credit if you give me a reaction. But this one, even when, yeah, when it doesn't work, it's just kind of forgettable for me. But I do, at the end of the day, want to say there is a lot here that does work. So I'm going to go with my C. Yeah, you make some really good points there. I like that. Yeah. Favorite track on the album. Young G's, that's an easy one for me. Oh. That's a that's an old school killer track. It's either between that and Victory, and Young G's just edges it out a little bit over the undeniable manliness of that rocky crescendo. Oh <laughs> like, yes, yeah, Young G's for me, easy. Young you're, look, you're looking at you're looking at pioneers, and you said it the best: pioneers and future pioneers of the genre, and it's perfectly placed right in the middle of this album. Yes, my favorite track is. Is this the end? <laughs> dig it. Dig it. They made it for me, putting genuine end twist on it. So <laughs> I like it. I like it. That is where we are. And that concludes this month for us. Our look at 1997. Yeah, man, a wild one. Thanks to the listeners for that one. That's one I don't think we would have ever done. No. Just picking on our own. That's what I love about the listener picks. They keep us. Yeah on our toes and also let us explore some stuff that we might not necessarily pick to go through. I completely agree with that. And fortunately, we're not going to have a poll next month, though, because our listeners gave us some suggestions specifically of what to do. And maybe we would have picked them on our own. Maybe we wouldn't have. But it's always fun to hear what the people want to hear. So for this next month, as we know, the Super Bowl will be happening and there will be a halftime show. And uh, with that, I thought it would be based on these suggestions we've gotten. There was a thread between a couple of them that 
They were artists who had performed at this halftime show at the Super Bowl over the years, including the one this year. But we're not going to be getting to Rihanna quite yet. Before that, a listener suggestion from Cooper Marino suggested it to me via our Facebook Messenger. He gave us two albums, actually. We'll be doing them both. But the first one we will be doing is none other than Purple Rain by Prince and the Revolution. Setting it off with Purple Rain. Oh, here we go. Yes. And uh, you're ready for a six hour. <laughs> we, we might be actually. Oh, boy. Because so, so much to get into with. I mean, it's Purple Rain. That's, I'm excited. That's awesome. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, that's going to be. I already can tell that's going to be a great episode. And I can't wait for it. Yeah, man. But in the meantime, just follow us wherever you're listening to us and follow on Facebook and Instagram at Turntables and Tea Podcasts. That'll be fun this week, especially in preparation for Purple Rain. I think it's going to be really fun because oh, yeah. <laughs> it's Purple Rain. I can't wait. And uh, until then, try not to go too crazy until next week <laughs> because uh, we want to avoid what it sounds like when doves cry. So... <laughs> We hope to meet you in the purple rain. Yes. Too many puns there, but I just, I couldn't resist. I, I had to do it. I love them. I love them. We but will see you in the purple rain. Yes. Adios. Peace. <laughs>